Welcome back to another Takes by the Lake. I introed early because I'm so excited about this. Do you care about how the Browns can build their team in this draft, not just picks one and four? We're laying out picks one, four, 33, 35, and 64. The first five picks they have, two in the first, three in the second. We're going to tell you what they can do to maximize those picks. Great guest on Takes by the Lake. Luke Easterling from DraftWire. He writes all over the place on the USA Today website. We broke down um, all the positions of need for the Browns. We broke down all the possibilities. Mostly, listen, you know the quarterback's coming at one, right? We talked about should it be Chubb, Barkley, or a trade at four. We talked about cornerbacks and offensive tackles and receivers and running backs in the second round. We laid out how John Dorsey can put this draft together. You want to follow Luke at Luke Easterling, E-A-S-T-E-R-L-I-N-G. That's on Twitter. You can go there. You can read all his stuff. He has a bunch of mock drafts. Um, This is a national perspective, zeroing in on how the Browns can execute this draft. It was great. It was fun. The draft should be fun. Don't be tired of it because... This is a hopeful draft. This is a opportunistic draft. This is a draft where the Browns can fill holes. They can package things and move up to get guys they want. They could slide back and gather more assets if they want. They can control this draft, and they can come away with a lot of good players. John Dorsey is a guy who has surrounded himself with smart people in the front office. You should have faith that this draft is going to go well for the Browns. Listen to Luke Easterling coming up right now. Thanks for joining us on Takes by the Lake. We're very happy to be joined by Luke Easterling, the editor of the Draft Wire. He does a ton of mock draft stuff, covers the NFL. Um, I am looking at Luke's big board. He gave 28 guys first-round grades for this draft. He's working on a new mock draft right now. And Luke is going to help us figure out the best way for the Browns to attack this draft. So, Luke, do you enjoy all this, man? Or are you sick of draft stuff by now? No, man, I can never get sick of it. It's it's uh, it's Christmas for me. I, I always say that the draft is better than the Super Bowl because all 32 teams get to be involved and gives everybody hope at least for a little while. So I did it for free for a long time. The fact that, you know, it's my job now is, is never lost on me. I'm grateful to be able to to put out this stuff and do what I was doing, you know, in high school, um, instead of probably doing some of the schoolwork I should have been doing, uh, and getting paid for it. It's, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> I, what can I say? It's, it never gets old to me. It's a great message for the kids out there, man. Just ignore your homework and do mock drafts and you could you know, be the I next tell you what, They always told us the video games wouldn't work either. And my older brother writes Halo for a living now. So, you know what, <laughs> we're just trying to smash stereotypes and keep our mouths shut. So the kids stay in school. I like it, man. Make your own path. Um, all right, Luke. So I, I like this too. People always joke, obviously, that that the draft is the Super Bowl for the Browns. But I hope I know some people, some Browns fans, are getting sick of it by now. But I hope Browns fans are enjoying this because I think it's fascinating, and I think a draft like this is hopeful for the Browns. I hope Browns fans aren't just walking around thinking, "Man, we stink." I'm sick of talking about the draft. To me, this feels like a little bit, and they were 0 16. I know that. But they have some young players in place, and I do feel like there's opportunity in this draft for them. When you look at the Browns, the picks they have, and the players that are out there, 
what do you? How would you describe the opportunity the Browns have in this draft? I mean, even even without that sixty fifth pick now, after the Tyrod Taylor trade, you're still talking about five picks in the first two rounds. So, uh, you know, especially the fact that you have a new general manager, you have a new kind of thought process, taking advantage of those resources. I don't know how how the Browns fans could be anything but hopeful. And I understand that I didn't grow up a Browns fan, so I don't necessarily understand the uh, the uh, the cynicism that's probably been built up over the last you know couple decades, but. You have to be able to look at this and say, listen, we really have a chance with the young talent they added last year with the tons of picks that they had, the potential that those guys still have to to be great players, uh, and the amount of resources they have in the early rounds this year. Uh, I just don't see how you can be anything but hopeful that this class kind of sets up really well with what they need. Um, They've got a chance to get another franchise quarterback up at the top of the draft, another top five pick, which is just so rare to be able to add a quality player at another position. You've got two of the first three picks in the second round uh, where I think the value at offensive tackle, the value at a, in a deep corner class, which is something they could use. I think this class, where it's it's strong and where those positions are kind of projected to come off the board, I think it sets up really well over those first couple rounds for the Browns to, to really do some damage and continue to build on the young foundation they started over the last couple of years. I know everybody loves to talk about the quarterback, and we will get to that with you, Luke, but I would like to start with the fourth pick with the very specific question in the thought process of the draft. The Browns sitting there at number four, if they keep that pick and don't trade down, and I think there's a world where they should entertain trading down if they can get a monster offer from a team wanting to come up and get a quarterback, but if they don't, and if Bradley Chubb and Saquon Barkley are both on the board, should the fact, for instance that there seems to be a good group of running backs in this draft and that the Browns could probably get a pretty decent back early in the second round, should that go into their thinking? Or when you're picking at number four, do you just take the best player to help your team the most and you don't take into account other guys at that position in the draft? Or would it make sense to say that we're close on Chubb and Barkley, We'll take Chubb because we think we can get a running back later, and we're not sure we can get a comparable pass rusher later. How should they be thinking there? Yeah, I I agree with what you just said there. I think if if it were me approaching it, I look at a draft class that is very, very low on on high-end pass rushers, especially a guy like Chubb, who I think is one of the most complete prospects in the whole draft, can defend the run, can get after the quarterback with speed or power. It just plays with a nasty mentality every single play. He's got that that confidence and that swagger that you want from a defensive leader who's getting after your quarterback. And, and to basically make him the second best pass rusher on your team after taking Miles Garrett number one last year. Uh, I mean, Emmanuel Ogba had a solid season. I think we can expect big things out of Larry Ogunjobi. So adding him to that young defensive front. I mean, that would just make things scary, I think, for the Browns there. So when you compare it, like you said, in a big-picture way to the running back class, not only is the running back position not as much of a premium position as, as finding a pass rusher, you've got a much deeper class at running back similar to what we saw last year. So what I kind of do is I go through exercises where I'll say, you know, would I prefer to have Bradley Chubb and, you know, whether it's a Sony Michelle in the second round or Ronald Jones or Nick Chubb or – uh, you know, any of those guys, would I rather have this combination or would I rather have Saquon Barkley and one of the edge rushers that I could probably get in the early second round? And when I do those 
kind of exercises, it makes it clear to me that taking Chubb at four makes much more sense, even though I think Saquon Barkley is probably in a vacuum the best player in this draft. It's it's not. I get to evaluate these guys in a vacuum like that, but when it comes to each team's war room, everything's going to be different. You have to, you know, evaluate them in, in conjunction with what you need, with what your schemes are, and your coaches, and what resources you have to spend on other picks. Um, and I think that all points to the fact that the, the Browns would be much better off taking that pass rusher at the top of the draft at four, and then seeing how the board falls to them at running back in the second round with those three second round picks. So as you've got, and I agree with that completely. I think it makes sense to think that way. I I think it, I understand the idea of of you. Hey, we just got to take the best player we can, and you don't know how the rest of the draft is going to go, so you don't want to. But but this realistically, I know looking at your board, you have Barkley and Geis as first round running backs, and then you have four running backs with second round grades in Rashad Penny, Sony Michelle, Nick Chubb, and Ronald Jones. There's just like there's no way one of those guys isn't going to be there for them early in the second round. They're not going to be six running backs gone in the first round. So so they would know they can identify which of those running backs behind Barkley they like the best. But they know a couple of those guys, maybe all of them, are going to be there t- to start the second round. Yeah, and that's again, that's why it can never be as simple as, well, this guy is the best player, so this is what we're going to take. I mean, the Bucks aren't going to take a quarterback at seven either, so you know, it's you can it, it's always about context, and that has to play into it. So, um, I think that when you look at the other needs that the Browns have, I would even venture that depending on how they feel about some of those second to third tier running backs, they could even wait till sixty four if they have a you know, an offensive tackle they like at thirty three or thirty five. Same with a corner. Uh, I feel like there are other options there that, that could give them the best value at a bunch of different positions and still give them a starting caliber player at the end of the second round at running back. Talking about running backs while we're here, who do you like the best? You have these four guys with the second round grades. I don't know if there's any realistic chance that Geis makes it to the second round, but but if you were the Browns and you were planning this way, I'm going to take Chubb and I'm going to try to think about running back in the second round Who's the guy that stands out to you that you like the best? I seem to be a little bit off the beaten path with this one, but Rashad Penny is the guy I have in my third spot behind Geis, uh, that first, that highest second round grade there. I, I just see a very complete player. Everybody keeps knocking him for his pass blocking, but in my opinion, I mean, that's like, it's like the eighth thing down my list of, a, you know, if I'm looking to spend a second round pick on a running back. I'm going to be much more concerned with the rest of his game as an actual running back, a receiver out of the backfield, even if we're talking about you know third down responsibilities, than I am about the fact that he's not a very refined pass blocker right now. That's what my coaching staff is for. That's what my NFL-level coaches are there to do, to take a, a young player who has the physical attributes to be able to effectively pass block and to teach him the technique, to teach him the, the finer points of that to improve it. So when I look at Rashad Penny, I see a guy who's 5'10", 5'11", 220, 225, uh, can catch the ball out of the backfield, was really a kick return specialist because he was playing behind Donnell Pumphrey, uh, the, the kind of undersized but highly productive running back. Even when Pumphrey broke the rushing record the year before this last year, uh, Penny still rushed for a thousand yards as his backup while taking a bunch of kickbacks for touchdowns. So now he got the chance to start this past year, rushed for over two thousand yards, and I just think he's a complete back. I think he's explosive. He's powerful. He's got great vision. 
I I don't see a lot of the same discrepancy. I don't see a lot of the same flaws that it seems like other people see in him, which is why he gets uh, the edge over Michelle, over Chubb, two guys that I like quite a bit. Uh, and Ronald Jones kind of comes in uh, behind those guys, but there's so many of those backs that I really, you know, they're kind of clumped close together. And I really, if the Browns took any one of those four guys with either of those top two picks in, in the the second round, I don't think Browns fans should be complaining about either of them. Uh, there are. I, it seems like a lot of mock drafts do have guys like Michelle and Chubb and Jones maybe going ahead of Penny. Do you think there's a shot that Penny could be there at 64 late in the second, or is he too good? Will he be off the board somewhere earlier in the second round? No, I actually wouldn't be surprised. Uh, again, you're talking about a guy that's coming out of a smaller program. Uh, I think you could see a guy maybe even like on Johnson from Auburn uh, go ahead of him as well, even though I have him ranked quite a bit lower. Um, again, it, it's just, you know, team, every team has different filters that they're looking at things through, and you never know what's happening in meetings and interviews. And, you know, in our line of work, you don't get as much of an opportunity to know, you know, the medical background information that the teams get or, or kind of how these guys are as people one-on-one. Um, so that plays into it a lot. But I de- definitely wouldn't be surprised to see Rashad Penny. They're still on the board at 64. Cornerback is another premium position that the Browns could use help at. Um, their defense, I think, is starting to fill in pretty nicely, especially if they add Chubb. Their defensive line, I think, could be very good. They're pretty set, at least with their starting linebackers. They added a bunch of guys this offseason in the secondary, but I, a lot of people think they could still use a number one corner. My first question is, should Denzel Ward, who who it feels like is everybody's number one cornerback in this draft out of Ohio State, should he be in consideration for the Browns at number four, especially if Bradley Chubb goes number two to the Giants and the Browns don't trade out of number four and that choice is down maybe to Barkley and Ward, should Ward be a consideration at four for Cleveland? I don't think so at all, uh, and it has to do with a couple of things. I think that when you're comparing him to Barkley, I feel like the gap is just so big in terms of their complete quality as a prospect. And it's not that I don't like Denzel Ward. I think he is the best corner in this draft. But you're talking about spending a top-five pick on a, a five foot ten corner. I just don't know how comfortable I feel with that, passing up a rare talent in Saquon Barkley uh, at running back to help whoever that quarterback is that you end up taking at one. And also looking ahead again, we talked about kind of staggering and and looking at the board and how it will shake out for the second round. You have two of the first three picks in the second round, and you're talking about a corner class that's going to have four or five starting caliber players, in my opinion, still on the board at that point, whether it's Mike Hughes from UCF, Isaiah Oliver from Colorado, uh, Carlton Davis from Auburn, who's a a physical guy with a lot of size and long arms. There's so many guys that I would feel very, very comfortable taking as number one corner type guys at the top of the second round that there's just no way I'm spending a top five pick on a 5'10 corner instead of Saquon Barkley, and then, you know, especially when I can get some of those other guys at the top of the second. I covered Denzel Ward every game he played at Ohio State. He's a great, humble kid, super fast, super productive. I would not take him at four either. If the Browns trade down and they're picking at 9 or 12 or something like that, then I absolutely would take Denzel Ward. But I don't. I just don't think in the draft there's the value at 4 with everything you've done to, you know, this, is, this number 4 pick is the passing on Carson Wentz, passing on Deshaun Watson pick. Um, I don't think Denzel Ward's the value at that spot. I agree with that. 
but it feels like corner is a need spot for them. If you were the Browns, would you wait for early in the second round? One of those guys you mentioned, I think you have four cornerbacks with second round grades. Or the other thing I, th- thing I think is in play for the Browns is a trade up to late in the first round like they did last year when they got David Njoku. Would you be looking at Alexander and Jackson, the other two corners you have with first round grades, and if you were the Browns, would you be like maybe ready to pounce if one of those guys starts to fall into the 20s and you think you could go up and get them? Yeah, I think that's absolutely on the table. And that's, you know, that's the fun part of the draft is the stuff that we just, we can't project. We don't know which of those teams has, you know, one of those two guys or three guys evaluated and graded so much more highly than the other ones uh, to the point where they feel like it's a value they can't pass up and they need to go get their guy. So whether that's Alexander or Jackson, I could see either of those guys going top 15. I could see either of them slipping to the, you know, closer to the end of the first round. And when you are picking with that first pick in the second and you have, you know, another pick, two picks later, and you've got another second round pick to play around with, you've got so much flexibility yeah, that's why I love the idea of stockpiling these picks because not only can you keep them and increase your odds of hitting on uh, some quality players, it also just gives you so much flexibility on draft weekend to be able to move around, make the moves that you want to get the guys that you are are, are sold on uh, that you think are really high-quality players that fit well in your systems. Uh, I just think the Browns have such an opportunity in so many different ways uh, because of that flexibility to get uh, a lot of quality players and keep turning this thing around. Yeah, I think that's that's the thing for the Browns as I've just talked a lot and a lot of people had about like just the Browns owning the draft and it's not it's not just sitting there and picking your guys. It's figuring out who you want and then having the flexibility to go up, to move back, to move, because you have so many assets, you can do a lot of things. I'm very curious to see how they decide to deploy those. While we're on that fourth pick, I just want to get you on one final scenario. Before we move on, I want to talk about offensive tackles. If Chubb is gone, if the Browns take their quarterback at one, and I think a lot of people are seeing this scenario, it's almost I've had people say, if the Browns take Josh Allen, they probably increase their chances of getting Chubb at four because the Giants or somebody would probably take Darnold at two, Chubb probably gets to four. If you take Darnold at one, then maybe Chubb is in play at number two. So if that happens, if it's Darnold one to the Browns, Chubb number two overall to the Giants, and let's assume another quarterback goes three to the Jets, should the Browns at number four take Barkley or trade down or do something else? I think unless you get a a unbelievable offer uh, to move off of that fourth pick, and Barkley is there, uh, I think he just he's such a rare player that I think it makes sense to take him. And, and again, everybody's definition of what a, a good enough deal uh, would be is obviously different. But um, I, I just think he represents too much value. I, I think that you know if we're talking about Sam Darnold or Josh Allen I, I think there's an ocean between those two guys as prospects Josh Allen is the sixth best quarterback in this draft in my opinion so I, I may not I know I'm not quite alone in that opinion but definitely seems to be uh, not fitting with uh, the way things are projected to go down on draft day uh, but I think they're much better off taking a guy like Darnold at number one if, if, if quarterbacks the way they're going to go and at four if they can't move down and get what they think is 
you know, adequate value for coming off of a top five pick. Again, I, I just feel like if Chubb's off the board, the only other guy that makes me feel comfortable spending a top five pick instead of moving down and getting extra picks, Barkley's just that guy. All right, offensive tackle. We know Joe Thomas retired. We're thinking about Sean Coleman in Cleveland possibly as a left tackle. I know there's some people who think Joel Batonio, who was a tackle in college, could kick out and maybe be a left tackle. doesn't seem like the Browns are thinking about that yet. Looking at your board, I don't think you have any tackles um, in the first round. Where Where is their value for the Browns if they want to think about a Joe Thomas replacement? Is Connor Williams or Mike McGlinchey a guy like that? Is it possible one of those guys could be there early in the second round? And if they are, should the Browns take someone like that? Yeah, I think that's the, the scenario they would like to play out, and I think that's the one that's playing out here in my uh, mock draft that will be up later this week, is that it's just a weird tackle class. Last year's tackle class was terrible. Uh, we only saw two go in the first round, and the first one didn't go till 20. Um, so this year, while the class is deeper, it's got more, I think, starting caliber players over the first few rounds. It's still very strange at the top because we just don't have – that top 10 prospect that we're used to, to having in that, at that position, that you know franchise left tackle anchor type of guy that we know can start there from day one. I just don't see that guy. Connor Williams and Mike McGlinchey are the top two uh, guys in this class. I, I see very little separating them. It just depends on what you want. I think there's probably more upside with a guy like Williams who's a little more athletic. Um, there's more experience, a little more versatility, I think, with uh, with McGlinchey, who's played the right side. He's played the left side. He's handled some of the best pass rushers in the nation very effectively. Um, so he's probably more pro-ready at this point. There's some people that think that Williams may not even stay at tackle. He might have to move into guard. I don't necessarily agree with that. Uh, I think it's more likely that Williams is the one that's available there at the top of the second round. And if he is, I definitely think he's worth investing in. Uh, in terms of what the Browns need at the position, and, and because if you if you hit on a guy at tackle, it is such a, a need position, a premium position, uh, that if you can get a high quality starter at the top of the second round, that's that's a steal. The Browns are are pretty decent at receiver now. If Josh Gordon can stay on the field, if they keep Corey Coleman, and I hope they do, with the addition of Jarvis Landry, putting those three guys on the field. On the first weekend of the season, it would be a big step up with where they were at receiver a year ago. However, there's still a lot of people who would maybe like to see the Browns think about receiver. Do you think receiver is a position the Browns should think about with one of those early second-round picks? Again, I'm looking at your big board. There's a lot of guys in that mix. Um, I think you have eight guys that are receivers with second-round grades. Do you think any of those receivers would make sense for the Browns, or is that not where you would go if you were the Browns? I, you know, I definitely think that the, the, the my board kind of sets it up to look that way. I just don't know if it's enough of a need for the Browns to kind of bring them off of taking a tackle or, or a corner uh, with either of those top two picks in the second round, especially if things go as we said, if it's um, you know, whatever quarterback at one and either Chubb or Barkley at four, you're talking about still needing a tackle, still needing a corner at, at 33 and 35. So I think those positions would take precedence. Again, you, you have another late second round pick. You've got some day three picks to work with. And I think that the meat of this receiver class is going to be 
from rounds two through four, again, you have I have eight guys graded in the second round. You're not going to have eight receivers going in the second round. So you're going to see some of those guys fall because uh, it's just such a deep class and, and other teams are going to need other positions. They're going to see that depth and realize, hey, we can wait for a receiver too because there's so many still left on the board. So I think that they're better off waiting. I think there are going to be some very quality pass catchers still on the board uh, when they come up to pick in the fourth round. Yeah, I think that makes sense. It's just they've had... They've had such bad receivers for so long. I mean, in combination, their quarterback play and their receiver play combined last year was was just such a problem. It's why they went 0-16 along with Hugh Jackson's poor coaching. But um, they're obviously going to be better at quarterback with Tyrod Taylor, and it just is when you, when you invest in Jarvis Landry like that, and if Josh Gordon can be close to the best of what Josh Gordon can be, uh, it just takes a little of the anxiety away from that position. I think I agree with you that with the corners uh, and tackles that would be sitting there in the second round, I think they can wait at receiver. So let's talk about the elephant in the room, the number one pick. Who would you take? I know you're a big Lamar Jackson guy, and I would like you to talk about that, but I also I think we just know he's not going to be the pick for the Browns. So if you want to talk about first what what kind of quarterback you think Lamar Jackson can be in the NFL, but then also who you think the Browns should pick when it feels like Hugh Jackson was saying the other day, four quarterbacks are still in the mix. Obviously, that's Darnold, Rosen, Mayfield, Allen. Who you think the Browns should pick, but why do you like Lamar so much? You know, why I like Lamar so much is that when, when you break down all five of these top quarterbacks, you, know, you see flaws across the board. You see everybody has an issue or two that can be a fatal flaw at the next level if it doesn't get worked out. You've got guys that, you know, accuracy is a consistent problem. You've got uh, decision-making a consistent problem. Rosen and Darnold both struggled, especially early in the season last year, with just boneheaded turnovers at the worst possible times uh, that ended up costing their team some games. And, and you see flashes of brilliance from all those guys, too. You see Josh Allen make some throws that – just don't look human. It's ridiculous what he can do with the ball sometimes. But you also see Josh Allen struggling against teams like Hawaii and only putting up really you know quality production against teams like Gardner-Webb. Is that something you're comfortable spending a number one pick on when a guy struggled against even average competition and really struggled with consistency and where he was putting the ball? So I just saw flaws in all these guys. And when I brought up Lamar Jackson and I look and I see the flaws that he has as well with his consistency in terms of accuracy, I just don't see enough of those flaws to, to kind of separate him as far as it looks like everybody else seems to be. And what I do see, I'm a big trump card fan. If, if a player has a, a trick in their repertoire or some sort of skill that that sets him apart from the rest of the group, that that plays big for me. So, None of these quarterbacks in this class could ever hope to have the athleticism and the explosiveness uh, as a runner that Lamar Jackson has. And, and people can be concerned about his size. Honestly, I think he's the same height and about five pounds lighter than Deshaun Watson. So that doesn't concern me whatsoever. Josh Rosen is kind of a lean frame comparatively. I, I just feel like people are – there are so many different uh, – detractions when it comes to Lamar Jackson that I don't think are being applied to the other four quarterbacks in this class, at least not as to, to the same degree. And when I turn on the tape, I see a guy who definitely has flaws, but who has incredible potential, a very strong arm. I think he has Michael Vick's capabilities as a runner, 
but as a much more refined passer. And this is a guy who spent time in a pro style offense with a lot of pro concepts, had to, you know, fit throws into tight windows. And, you know, I, I see a bunch of stuff out there about him not being able to read defenses and make reads. That's just not, it, I don't see that at all. I don't know what people are looking at. I don't know if they're still just watching 2016 film when he was just taken off and running all over the place on the, on the way to winning the Heisman. And in 2017, he's just a completely different player. He learned how to use his athleticism to negotiate the pocket to be able to reset and throw the ball down the field. And that's what you have to be able to do at the next level. So he's proving that he can learn and refine his skills to become a better passer in the pocket. And I I see that continuing at the next level. And and when you put all these guys together, I see the the ups and the downs. And I also see a guy who has a, a trump card that none of these other guys have. So that's what puts him slightly ahead of the rest of the quarterback class for me. I understand that's not going to happen on draft day, but I think if he ends up in the right spot, teams are going to be really, really sorry that they uh, kind of didn't value him as, as much as it looks like they're not. Where, where do you think he will end up going? Where, where do you think are the good landing spots for him that seem likely, um, given how much you like him? I think the fun landing spot that's early for me, I think, would be Miami. I, I think watching him be able to sit behind Ryan Tannehill, who, again, he's going to be 30 has coming off a season-ending injury. I think we kind of know what Ryan Tannehill is at this point, and I think that ceiling's just not terribly high, definitely not high enough to not consider taking a quarterback right now. He has very, very little guaranteed money left in that big contract he signed, so it's really not going to cost the Dolphins a whole lot to move on from him after this year. So when you have a creative offensive coordinator like Adam Gase and you have a dynamic talent at quarterback like Lamar Jackson, taking him at 11 – and, and letting him kind of acclimate to the speed of the game for a year before taking over in, in 2019, I think would be a fantastic fit. Honestly, all things considered, I think the best fit for Lamar Jackson would be at New Orleans. And mm-hmm. I'm saying that as a lifelong Tampa Bay Buccaneer guy, I would be terrified. And as a fan, absolutely hate to see him in New Orleans with Alvin Kamara and Michael Johnson, that offense. Uh, but I mean, think about it. You're sending him to one of the most creative offensive coordinators in the league in Sean Payton, you're letting him sit behind a, a Hall of Fame quarterback in Drew Brees who's going to, you know, just pass on all that, that you know, the hard work and, and dedication that he brings to the game. He's going to be in the same quarterback room with that guy, being able to learn those traits and how to approach the game that way. And I just think that would be, for Lamar's future, I think that would be the best place for him to be. Okay, so, and I agree with that. I don't, I, I just... The NFL is strange to me. The idea that, that Josh Allen somehow is in a conversation right now as the overall number one pick, and Lamar Jackson is not. It, I just wonder sometimes like what, what they're looking at, what they value the most. Um, why a six foot five guy with the big arm who, who has a million questions is valued above uh, a super athletic guy with a big arm who has fewer questions. I just don't get. But... That's a- it's laughable to me. I think that when we started hearing people talk about Lamar moving to receiver, I wanted to know why Josh Allen didn't need to move to tight end because I think yeah. that makes as much sense, if not more. Yeah, yeah, and I, it, it, the league is what it is. That's a, a whole separate uh, podcast <laughs> exactly. for another day. Um, okay, so we know the four quarterbacks that the Browns are talking about when they say four guys are still in the mix. What would you tell them to do? Honestly, it comes down to two guys for me. It, it depends on what they expect from Tyrod Taylor. If, if what they say is correct, that the rookie's not going to play at all, I think that takes 
probably Josh Rosen out of the conversation. Probably Baker Mayfield too, if I'm because I think those two guys are the more pro ready guys. Maybe a little bit lower ceiling, uh, but more polished guys mechanically and and pretty much every way around the board. And and Josh Allen, I think, wouldn't even be in the discussion for me. I think I, I mentioned that earlier, but that all points to Sam Darnold for me. I think he's got some of the rawness that concerns me about Josh Allen, but certainly not to that same degree. And he's got a resume of, of high-quality performances in a, a top conference against a lot of good football teams. I see so much of what people are excited about Josh Allen, his arm talent, his ability to do uh, those types of things physically. I see a lot of the same things in Sam Darnold. And you've seen him make plays in the clutch when the game's <coughs> on the line in big situations. Uh, you know, I think we probably overestimated him after that Rose Bowl performance and kind of set himself up, you know, with an impossible bar to hit in 2017. And just because he kind of fell short of some of those expectations and regressed a little bit, I don't think that takes away from the fact that in that moment, what he was able to do through 2016 to take over a one in four team and lead them to nine straight wins and that epic win in the Rose Bowl, that's the kind of stuff that sets quarterback prospects apart, the ability to do that on the biggest stage and to rally your team around you. And I think that, all points to Sam Darnold being the most sensible pick there. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not a guy who has watched a ton of film, which is why I like having you got you draft guys who really break this stuff down on the on the podcast. But I did cover Sam Darnold uh, when Ohio State played USC in the Cotton Bowl. And just talking to T. Martin about him, talking to other USC coaches about him, talking to the teammates, you just got a sense of a guy who can make plays in the pocket and out of the pocket which I think is very important and should intrigue Browns fans that he, he's not, he can make a, a broken play, but he's also not a guy to me that, that can't stand in the pocket and, and doesn't know what he's seeing. I think he can process in the pocket. And I think he's a really good athlete with a good arm. Like I, I don't know that he's a, maybe he's not a 10 in anything, but I feel like he's a nine in a lot of things. And I feel like he's a, he's kind of a quiet guy, but I think he has a little bit of swagger. It seems like his teammates truly like him and, and fall in behind him as a leader. And then he, he really seems like, I know he fumbles a little bit too much. I think he can fix that. I think he might be a little bit of a risk taker and still might throw some picks. But I want a risk taker a little bit, a guy who wants to make plays. I just feel like he's a, he's a nine in a lot of places where Josh Allen might have a 10 here and then a one in another category. So I just think Sam maybe Sam Darnold isn't, you know, maybe he's not Andrew Luck, or maybe he's not Peyton Manning or, or Cam Newton, but I feel like he's pretty good in a lot of things. Yeah, I think that we fail to remember a lot of the time that every draft class doesn't get an Andrew Luck. They don't yeah. get a Peyton Manning. Those guys are special for a reason, and, and that's why. You know, Sam Darnold, I, I agree with you. That comparison with the you know tens and ones is perfect to me because I do think that Josh Allen has a 10 in his arm talent, and I do think he has a 1 here and there. I think he has some 4s and 5s, and I, I don't see a whole lot of those with Sam Darnold. I think that if you added up all those categories and those scores, you end up uh, with, with a quarterback in Sam Darnold that I think Browns fans could be really happy about. And Again, you have a guy in Tyrod Taylor who is a perfect bridge quarterback who can probably win you some games in the interim, uh, and then whether it's this season, at any point in the season, if you feel like Sam Darnold is comfortable I think what they can't do is do what they did with Deshaun Kaiser last year and move him around, yank him back and forth. Yeah. Have a clear plan going in. 
and know that once you give that ball to Sam Darnold, it is Sam Darnold's show. I think if that happens, I think that the Browns can have a lot of success. All right, so I know you are working on another mock draft. Can you give me the perfect scenario for the Browns? Maybe those first five picks, the two first-rounders, the two early second-rounders, and then the last pick of the second round. If if things break the right way for the Browns, what maybe would those five picks look like possibly in your mind? I think the the perfect scenario is you take you obviously get to take the quarterback of your choice at one. I think we both agree that Darnold probably makes the most sense. I think your best case scenario is is Bradley Chubb being on the board at four because I think he's there is no such thing as a safe pick. If there was one, I think he's he's one of the few guys in this draft that that would you know earn that title. Okay. He plays a premium position, gives you again uh, him and 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 Miles Garrett together would just be terrifying as a quarterback. Um, then you're talking about getting into the second round. I think you want as many offensive tackles still on the board as possible so that you can take the one of your choice at either 30, 33 or 35. And I think, like we talked about before, you want as many of those corners on the board as well because that's who I want at 33 or 35. I want a, a corner and an offensive tackle. And then at 64, I'm hoping that it's Rashad Penny. It's that complete three-down running back that can carry the load as a workhorse runner, can also make plays in the passing game. That's the guy. If I don't have my my running back within those four picks, that's who I'm aiming for at 64. I like it. That's I don't I don't argue with any of that. That sounds good to me. I I do think I think corner is especially of need. Um, I think if you think a, an outstanding talent at another position has fallen, I think maybe you can get by at tackle for now and and have that be something that you want to target in the future. But I I just feels like there's opportunity here. You know, it was nice when they had six of the first 65, but I also understand trading that first pick in the third round to get a quarterback in Tyrod Taylor who's going to get you through this season in a much more competent way than Deshaun Kaiser got you through last season. So I just think I think there's opportunity here, and I think you laid it out, Luke. So um, thank you for joining us. That's really good stuff. And, and uh, won't you be a little sad when the draft's over, right? And then you have to start thinking about 2019 draft stuff. Yeah, man, it's always it always feels a little like uh, December twenty sixth, uh, that that Sunday when the the dust is settled and you kind of start putting things together for the next year. So, um, my wife laughs at me and, and she thinks I'll, I'll at least have a week or two where I don't miss it quite so much. But I, I'm not so sure at this point. He's Luke Easterling. His uh, his work is all over the USA Today website, writing for DraftWire. Luke, thank you so much for joining us on Takes by the Lake and enjoy the draft, man. Hey, you do the same, man. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Luke. And that's it. Thanks for joining us for another Takes by the Lake podcast with Cleveland.com. I'm Doug Maurice. Read my work at Cleveland.com. Follow me on Twitter at Doug Maurice. Follow Luke Easterling at Luke Easterling. And we will have another Takes coming up Friday, I think. Luke was our second podcast of the week on Monday uh, night. We put up a podcast with Ryan McChrystal. Um, and Eric Galco talking about Josh Allen specifically. This one was breaking down the whole draft, and I'm hopefully going to have two good guests lined up for Friday just talking about the whole state of the Browns franchise once again before we get the draft week next week. So thanks to you guys, as usual, for joining us on Takes by the Lake, and we'll talk to you next time.